Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc.isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. As we kind of have been walking through the writings of Luke and we've been studying the topic of the Holy Spirit and I, I want to get to a, a moment of one of the first recorded sermons of the New Testament church and really look at the response to that sermon to that message and to start our time today I'm going to ask kind of a, a I don't know it may seem like a very simple question and so I'm just going to put that out there and if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for a while you're going to be like Paul I already know the answer don't blurt it out Okay, don't spoil the ending because somebody has to listen to this message. Okay, so if you already know the answer, you know, just go to sleep. Take a nap. It's on us. Now, uh, here's what I want to ask. I want to ask you this question. Okay, what does Jesus want from you? Okay, now don't answer. And what I mean by this is, is Jesus came on a mission to save the world from sin. He died on the cross. He rose again. He commissioned his followers to tell this good news. It's called gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He told his first century followers to share this news with all peoples. In fact, just go to the end of the earth telling this message. Well, what did he want the response of the crowds to be? When they heard this proclamation, when they heard this good news, when they heard this gospel, what was he hoping people would do with it? How did he want them to respond? What did Jesus want from them? Right? We all need God's forgiveness. That's the story of the Bible. God has provided that forgiveness in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So how do we receive that forgiveness? Right? God's forgiveness doesn't come to us like direct deposit, just like right into our account. We have to do something. We have to respond. So what's that response? How do we receive the forgiveness of God in Christ Jesus? Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you're like, I already know the answer. It's faith. Faith is how I receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're thinking of passages like Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Faith is the answer. Faith is how I'm saved from the wrath of God. Faith is how I am saved from God's just punishment for my sin. Great answer. Right? Or maybe you're thinking of probably the most famous verse in all of the Bible, probably the most quoted, John 3.16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what's the response? It's faith. It's belief. The way the scriptures use those kind of two terms, they're synonymous, kind of interchangeable. So faith and belief, that's what God wants. Now here's where we run into a problem. Is these terms, faith and belief, are very common to us. We know these terms. This is like in our modern day vernacular, if you will. And because we're so familiar with them, I think we miss how the New Testament description of these terms is slightly different. The problem comes when like our definition of faith and belief and the New Testament definition of faith and belief don't completely overlap. There's a little difference. And that little difference can be dangerous. Because if we're not operating with the same definition, we're going to come to a different conclusion. And that different conclusion can lead to incorrect behavior. And incorrect behavior can lead to terrible consequences. Now, this is not just a modern problem. It was a first century world problem. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, pointed this out when he was writing a letter to a church or to a group of churches. Jesus' brother James became a really dominant leader in the first century movement of Christianity. And as he's writing to this church, this group of followers, he's realizing that their definition of faith and his definition of faith, well, really, and his brother's definition of faith, are much different. And this gap is dangerous. And let me show you this in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, verse 18, James says this, But some will say, I have faith, and you have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now what is he saying here? Hey, your definition of faith is different than my definition of faith. You see, because faith should be able to be shown, to be seen, to have evidence. So faith should change you. It should do something inside of you that causes new behaviors to come out of you. But they had a definition of faith that was apart from works, that was devoid of works, that was devoid of change. Their faith was like the faith of demons. Now think about that for a moment. What does he mean by demons believing or demons having faith? Do demons know that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes, we see that all throughout the Gospels. When Jesus is about to cast out a demon, there are so many times where a demon will be like, Ah, Jesus, I know who you are. Demons know who Jesus is. Do demons know that Jesus Christ died and rose again? Yes. Do they know the significance of that work? Yes, they know us for the forgiveness of sins. They can probably articulate the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ better than many of us in the room. They know these things. They believe them to be true. But their belief is not the kind of belief that Jesus wants. It's not the kind of faith that Jesus wants. Here's the big idea for today. When we're asking the question, what does Jesus want from us. If you write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The big idea is this. Jesus wants more from you than he gets from demons. Jesus wants more from you than he gets from demons. 
knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, knowing his identity, knowing the great work that he did on the cross and his resurrection, knowing the significance of that work, that that was done for the forgiveness of sins, knowing these things, believing them to be true, is not enough. And James I mean, the church is just growing. It's still in the first century, right? It's still in its early inception, if you will. They already ran into this problem of bad definition. And I think we've run into that as well in our modern era. I think the reason is, is because we forget the other terms that are used to describe what the Christian decision is. Because the New Testament is going to use several words to describe what it means to make a decision to become a Christian. It'll use the words like faith. It'll use the words like believe. Jesus' favorite is follow. Come follow me if you follow me. But there's another term that's used that is not often used by us in our everyday speech. And I think that's the word that helps us get clarity as to what type of belief Jesus wants. And that word is repentance. Repentance. Now think to yourself... When this week have you used that term, repentance? Probably never. It's not common. That term means to turn, to to change directions. It's not common in our vocabulary, but it was very common in the New Testament world to call for repentance. And what we need to see is that these terms that are used, they're not contradictory terms, right? They're not enemies warring against each other. They actually complement each other. And we put all these words together, then we get the full definition of what kind of faith does Jesus want. When somebody becomes a Christian, what are they doing? What does that look like? It can't be a demonic move. It can't be a demonic belief. It can't be just knowing the facts, believing they happen in history, even knowing their significance. No, it's got to be more than that. And the term repentance helps us see that. Let me show you this in the first recorded sermon of the New Testament church. This is in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, Peter has been preaching this message, very powerful message. We've kind of visited this a couple times. But we get to kind of the end of his message. And at the end of his message, people say, what should we do? What do you want us to do? Let me show you this, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This is the same question that I presented to you at the very beginning of our time together. What does Jesus want from you? How do you receive the forgiveness of God? What's the response that he desires for you to have when the gospel is proclaimed? That's what these guys are asking. They say, Peter, what are we supposed to do, man? Like, tell us what to do. He's just told them... Here's Jesus, here's who he is, he died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says this, and talk about a hard sermon to preach. Look at verse 37. He points out at them, or verse 36, and he says this, All the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I mean, that's a hard sermon to hear. You killed this guy. Now it's time to take up the offering. Band, will you play? Like, that's a hard message to hear. But they feel convicted. Maybe they were part of the crowd that pressured Pilate to crucify Jesus Christ. 
Maybe many of them remember that when they were chanting, crucify him, crucify him. They realize now because what Peter is saying, that Jesus was the Christ, the hero that God had promised. That he is the son of God, that he came to die and rise again for the forgiveness of their sins. And now they say, what are we supposed to do? Peter, just tell us what to do, man. What are we supposed to do? Now we asked that question in the beginning of our time together. And the response was faith. Have faith. Here's the odd thing. That's not what Peter says. Peter doesn't say, have faith. Peter, Peter doesn't say, believe. Look at what he says. He uses a different word. He says this in verse 38. Sorry, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to camp out here on just this phrase. What does this mean? What is this about? Right? So we could break it down very easily. They say, Peter, what should we do? What's the response? How do we receive God's forgiveness? Peter then gives them two commands. He says, repent. And then he says, be baptized. Then he says, if you obey these two commands, then here are the outcomes you can expect. Your sins will be forgiven, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So at first, it looks like this. It's kind of like an equation, right? Like A plus B equals C and D. If you repent and you're baptized, then that means you will have your sins forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. All right, now I want to unpack that because there's a couple questions, two questions I have about that whole equation there. The first question is this. These two things in the beginning, are these two conditions that I have to meet in order for my sins to be forgiven? Is that the response? You have to repent and be baptized. So if you only repent and you're not baptized, then you're not forgiven and you won't receive the Holy Spirit. Is that the right way to understand what Peter is saying? So I think the first thing we have to do is says, if we want to understand what God's response or what God's desired response is, we have to say, well, what did Peter mean by repent and be baptized? Then I think the next question we have to ask is, why did he not say belief? Why did he not say have faith? Why did he use the word repent? That seems odd. So let's, let's tackle the first question. How does baptism and repentance relate to each other? Well, this is the only time, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is the only time in the book of Acts where baptism is connected with the forgiveness of sins. So that's a little strange that he mentions it here. Because here's what he normally does and what Jesus normally did. When they spoke of forgiveness of sins, they would often only mention repentance. Right, let me show you this. Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, verse 46. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, this it is written, the Christ, he's talking about himself, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. This is his death and resurrection. What happens after that? And that the repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So in Jesus' mind, how are your sins forgiven? How do you receive that outcome? Does Jesus use the word baptism? No. He only mentions what? Repentance. Hmm, that's interesting. 
So if I'm supposed to understand Acts chapter 2 as I've got to meet these two conditions in order to get forgiveness, I've got to meet these two conditions in order to get the reception of the Holy Spirit, then that phrase really doesn't make sense. Because Jesus says, repent, you'll be forgiven. Well, Peter is preaching again in the New Testament in Acts chapter 3. And just like Jesus, he only mentions repentance. He doesn't mention baptism. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Look what Peter says. Again, him preaching again. This is the same guy who preached in Acts chapter 2. He's preaching again in Acts chapter 3. Verse 19, he says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Where's baptism? It's not there. Why didn't he mention that? If I'm supposed to understand Acts chapter 2, verse 38, as this, this plus this equals these two things, that really breaks. Because that's not what Jesus said, and that's not what Peter would say later. Well, Peter is preaching again in Acts chapter 10, and I think this passage really helps us understand what's going on. Because in Acts chapter 10, Peter is preaching. He preaches, the people respond, and then something happens. They receive the Holy Spirit. And then they're baptized. Well, that ruins the whole equation, doesn't it? Let me show you this. Acts chapter 10. Peter preaching again. Same guy who preached in Acts 2. Same guy who preached in Acts 3. He's preaching in Acts chapter 10 to a group of non-Jewish believers. These, we call them Gentiles. The gospel is pressing forward to all peoples, to all nations. It started in Jerusalem predominantly with Jews, but then it would expand out. So he's part of this expansion. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, it says this. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. And the believers among them, or among the circumcised who had come with Peter, they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Verse 46 of Acts 10. For they were hearing him speaking, or hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold waters, the water of baptism, or for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So what, what happened? Well, you ruined our whole equation. It was like A squared plus B squared equals. C squared, actually D squared, because we have forgiveness of sins and reception of the Spirit. Okay, so the Pythagorean theorem doesn't work. So it was like A plus B equals C and D. But now what do we have? Acts chapter 10 was, oh, no, baptism actually happens over here. And all they did was repent and respond to his message. Then they received the Holy Spirit. The reason this passage is really helpful, it shows us there's not an equation. He's not making an equation. It's not one plus two equals all of these. I think what we realize here is because of the central teaching of Jesus and Peter, that there is one condition for you to be forgiven, and that's repentance. So why does he mention baptism? It's because that's like the second act of obedience when you hear the gospel. You repent, and in repenting, that means you turn your life over. And Jesus Christ commands us, be baptized. So what do you do? You obey your new master, right? You obey the new authority in your life. You say, yes, I will follow you. It's like, it's like 
It's like when you get married and you commit your life to somebody and you say, I do. But you're like, I do, but I don't want to wear the ring. Mm-mm. Right? That's, ladies, if anybody ever says that to you, say no. Run away. Okay? Oh, I'll commit, but I don't want to wear a ring. You'd be like, I'll cut your finger off then. How about that? Right? That's, that's biblical, right? It's not biblical, but it sounded cool when I said it. Right? But that, think about it. That's the idea. Is like repentance is going to inevitably lead to baptism. In fact, in the New Testament church, it's hard to find somebody who's a believer who's not baptized. Why? Because it was just inevitable. It's like the ne- it's your first step of obedience as a follower of Jesus Christ. But you don't get baptized to be forgiven. You don't get baptized to receive the Holy Spirit or Acts chapter 10 doesn't make any sense. Because they simply responded to the message, got the Spirit, then they were baptized. So Acts chapter 2 shouldn't be seen as him putting order together. What he's saying is the central action is what? Repent. And when you repent, here are the things that will follow. When you repent, you'll pursue baptism. When you repent, your sins will be forgiven. When you repent, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So the central action he's calling for is repentance. That's how it relates to baptism. Okay, but second question is this. Why repentance and not belief? Why repentance and not faith? That's confusing. Are these two opposing things? Peter, the same guy, just to add some confusion to our dilemma here. Peter is preaching in Acts 10, and we saw that. But if we jump one verse before, look what he says in verse 43. Again, he's calling people to respond to the message of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. In Acts chapter 2, he told them to repent. That was his main call. Now he tells them to do what? Different audience. Here's what he says. Verse 43. To him all the prophets, he's speaking of Jesus Christ, bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter, what happened? Did you change your mind? Like you started out like, let's do this repentance thing. And then he's like, that's a tough sell. How about we just say believe? No, I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. And I think the problem, the tension is solved really by Jesus Christ himself. Surprise, surprise. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, when Jesus is just starting his earthly ministry, Jesus uses both terms. In Mark 1, 15, it says as Jesus is going out, he preaches repent and believe in the good news. He uses both terms, repent and and believe. So how do these two things connect then? Again, I don't think we should understand repentance and belief or faith as opposing ideas, but complementary terms that describe the Christian decision. And I think Jesus does a great job of kind of resolving this tension for us or answering this problem for us. One of Jesus' favorite words to use is not faith or repent. He uses both. But it's the word follow. Come and follow me. If anyone would follow me. What I love about that, that word is it kind of gives us a visual of how to understand faith and repentance. If we think of following, we're, we're, we're going in one direction, right? Let's think of Jesus over here. And Jesus says, you come and you follow me. What's implied is I'm not yet following you, Jesus. I'm going in this direction, And when Jesus calls me to follow him, I have to stop going this way, and I have to start going this way. That is faith and repentance. 
It's one move. It's a, it's a turn, if you will. But repentance describes what you're moving away from. The scriptures describe when we are not following Jesus, we are committed to a life of self underneath the authority of Satan. That's how the, that's how the scriptures talk about how we live before we come to Jesus. Is really we're in control. We're the boss. We make the rules. Now, the scriptures also speak of this subtle kind of understanding, maybe something that we're not fully aware of, but we are under the influence of Satan if we're not following Jesus. The prince of the powers of the air is working in the hearts of the sons of disobedience, Paul says in Ephesians. So when we're not following Jesus, who are we following? Self and Satan. We're going in this direction. And when Jesus says, follow me, we have to what? Repent, which means to turn. So we turn from self and Satan. And who do we turn towards? Jesus. And we place our faith in him. What does that mean? That means we trust him. We trust that he will forgive us of our sins through his death and resurrection. Do you see how those ideas come together? See, but demons can't do this. Demons may know everything of who Jesus is. They may know that he is the son of God. They know that he died and he rose again. They know the significance of that work. But do they repent? No. They are following self and they are following Satan. Their allegiance lies there. They have not surrendered to Jesus. It's almost like, like, like I know that King Charles III is the king of England. right? But he has no authority over me. Why? Because I'm American, right? Like, I know, all right? I watched the thing, all right? I know his mom died, and that's how the thing works. And we saw the whole coronation, commencement, I don't know, birthday party, whatever you want to call whatever that was, right? He became king. He's the king. But no authority over Paul Robert Crandall, zero. That's exactly the same idea. Like, you could know all the stuff about Jesus, Know all the stories about Jesus. Know the significance of Jesus. You can trust. I, I trust that history represents well the fact that Jesus Christ died and rose again. You could believe in that as true. But if you don't submit to him as king, you believe like a demon. You know like a demon. And that's a dangerous place to be. Because where you are is still in this direction. Because the faith that Jesus wants is a repentant faith. It's a repentant belief. It's a trusting that leads to turning. Now, don't hear this. Don't hear this, because I don't, I don't want there to be confusion. And sometimes when we talk about repentance, we need to get into this confusion. Repentance does not mean perfection. Right? Repentance does not mean you clean up all your mess and then you come to Jesus. No, it doesn't mean that. Repentance doesn't mean you have this progressive step of moral improvement. And now that you've achieved this distance, you can be called a Christian. No. Repentance is not a sequence of moral improvement. Repentance literally is a moment of pivot. That's what repentance is. It's a point. It's an action. Peter calls him to repent. Jesus said, repent and believe. It's a moment where you say, my allegiance is not to myself or to Satan, it's to God. And I trust that he will save me from my sin through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so here is the really, really tough question for the day. And I mean this because I love you and I care about you. 
It's a question I've asked myself. It's a question we should all ask ourselves. It's a tough question, though. The question is this. Do you have a demon faith? Do you have a demonic faith? Maybe you're so familiar with the stories of the Bible. You're so familiar with with who Jesus is and all these things, and you've heard all the evidence, and you've maybe done some research and all these things. You believe God is real, that Jesus was God, and that he died and rose again, and you even know why he did it. But you haven't surrendered to Jesus. If you believe like that, that's a demon belief. Like if you, if you just look at your life and realize you've been living the same way since you believed, then you believe like a demon. If there's no evidence of surrender in your life, then you believe like a demon. Now, I'm not saying that, that surrender's got to be perfect. Don't hear that. But if it ain't present, stop fooling yourself. That's not the faith that Jesus calls you to. That's not the belief that Jesus calls you to. Jesus calls you to a repentant belief, a repentant faith, a faith that turns and trusts. But if you are still calling all the shots and you're the authority in your life, then that sounds awful lot like a demon. And that's not where you want to be. And my hope and my prayer is that maybe you, today you realize the belief you have is not the belief that Jesus wants from you. Jesus wants repentant belief. And my prayer is that you would repent today. That you would repent and believe. That you turn your life over to Jesus Christ. Because you can't follow without repenting. You can't follow without believing. They're included in each other. And that's what Jesus wants from you. Now, maybe you're like, yeah, Paul, okay, I've known that. I totally got that. I get that. I've been a follower of Jesus Christ for a long time. I repented. I believed. Great. That's awesome. And you're like, you know, Paul, so what am I supposed to learn from today? Thank you for that message. <laughs> Should have taken my nap like you told me to. I think there is something very important for us to learn as followers of Jesus Christ. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to share our faith, right? And as we share our faith, we have to make sure that we're calling people to believe as Jesus called them to believe. We can't share a half-priced gospel. We can't ask them to just believe, meaning just knowing. Hey, do you agree with these facts laid out before you? No. We have to call them, friend, come and die. Come and die. Come and die to self. See that the way you were going was under the work of Satan and his control. Pledge your allegiance to the Son of God. He has to be your Savior and your Lord. He can't be one. He can't just be your Savior and not your Lord. doesn't work like that. That's not, how the, that's not how it's played. That's not how it works. You've got to commit your life to him. Not be perfect, not be perfect. But you have to have a repentant belief. Make sure you're calling your friends and family members to the belief that Jesus is calling them to. A repentant belief. Because like, we, could, we could sell a half-price gospel. We could. I bet it would sell pretty good. Right? Discount Jesus. Right? 70% off. Fire sale. Whoa, that's, that's the bad term. Right? <laughs> that just struck me. But it's true, right? If we, just, if we were a church that just sold a half-price gospel, I bet we get so many more decisions. 
Man, all you got to do is, okay, so Jesus is God. Okay, Jesus is God. He died and rose again. Okay, that was for the forgiveness of sins. Cool. Do you agree with those truths? Yes. Right? But Christianity isn't a pop quiz. It's not getting all the answers right. It's about surrender. And if you sell a half-price gospel, yeah, we'll get a lot more decisions. But what will we get? Demonic decisions. And we don't want to promote a demonic faith. We don't want to promote demonic belief. When you share your faith, remember, Jesus wants more from them than he gets from demons. There's no discount code or coupon to the call of Jesus Christ. It is a surrender of allegiance to our Savior. That he is Lord and he is Savior. Both at the same time. Church family, let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that what you will find here at Sunrise Church, as you have in the past, I pray you find in the future that we are a church that doesn't sell a half-price gospel. That we're not, we don't want to promote demonic faith. We don't want to promote just a, an assent to some facts or knowledge of some events. But we are about putting forward what your son was about putting forward, what his earliest followers were about putting forward, and that was that we need to repent and believe. We need a repentant belief. We need to turn our lives over and trust. And Father, for anybody in this room, maybe you're in this room and you're like, you know, Paul, I, I, I think I've, I've had a demonic faith or faith that's similar to that of demons. I've known all the things, but I haven't surrendered my life. I'm still the boss of my life. Man, if that's you in, in this room, you can pray a very simple prayer like this, and it, it's, it's not magical because it's my words, right? But it's meaningful if it comes from your heart. If this is your words to God, then it's meaningful. So maybe today you want to cross that line and say, today's the day I become a Christian. Today's the day I make it real. Today's the day I start truly following Jesus. You can pray a prayer very similar to this. Just between you and God in the silence of your own heart, you could say something like this. You could say, Father... I admit, I admit that I'm a sinner. Father, I believe that Jesus Christ died and he rose again for the forgiveness of my sins. And today, I confess him as the Lord of my life. I pledge my allegiance to him. I call him my king. If you prayed that prayer, God heard that prayer. And that is a prayer of repentance. That is a prayer of belief, true belief. And that's the moment where things start to change. Your sins are forgiven, where you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray you be with those who maybe prayed that prayer. They're in this room that may have made that decision. Father, I pray you would just walk with them. Help them just to come into our church body, to grow in this wonderful faith that just started today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.